It's the M&S Monthly Podcast Show. Michael and Simon will share their best tips and secrets to provide inspiration for fellow entrepreneurs and business leaders. I hope you like the show. Let's get it started. In anything you do, achieving greatness or achieving mediocrity results doesn't happen overnight. You may be asking yourself, why is this important to share on today's show? I want to start the conversation, Simon, by sharing a famous quote by the, uh, by the actress Liz Taylor. She used to tell people it took her 20 years to become an overnight success. Success takes time, commitment, and a whole lot of consistency, which means routines, habits, process-driven actions, even down to brushing your teeth each day. How does this fit into life and business? As our listeners know, we have recently finished an absolutely tremendous walk in the Surrey Hills called the South Downs Way. We spoke about splitting this walk into three mental stages. The euphoric stage we'll call the start. The grunt phase we'll call the middle, where it rained so heavily on one day where you wanted to give up. We had our head down, pushing through to the finish. But not the end point. And the last point was the end phase. The interesting point is this. At the start and at the end, why were we feeling so euphoric? Hold your thoughts, Simon, on that one for just one little bit longer. I found this psychological theory fascinating. Because the mindset is very similar to a person wanting to win a gold medal at the Olympics or running a marathon and certainly starting and running a business for all of its challenges. It certainly was this way for me, I must tell you. You'll be pleased to know there has been some scientific work on this by a guy in the 1930s. He was a psychologist by the name of Clark Harlow. He timed a rat running in a maze. The closer the rats got to their reward, i.e. your food, or a little bit of celebration, the faster the rat would run. This was followed by a researcher by the name of Johnson Brown, who expanded on this study in the 1940s by attaching a harness to the rat running towards the food. So he could measure how strongly the rats pulled when they were stopped. Brown found that rats stopped near the food pulled harder than the rats running further away from the food. 
Simon, I know that was a lot of information, but the question to you is this. Why did the rats pull hardest nearest the food? We all have a really good vision, don't we, Michael? You and I do anyway for our businesses, and, and I'm sure that many of our listeners who run businesses have a vision. And when you first have that vision, it seems quite far away. But when you start to get closer and closer and closer to it, there's this, I don't know what it is, maybe it's an energy flow and it's like adrenaline or something. You start to see the end in mind. You start to see that vision come to life and that goal. It gives me and, and you, as we've discussed, a real impetus to want to push harder towards the end you know to the end is in sight so you speed up you you have the extra energy flow to want to get there and that manifests itself i believe both physically in that we almost become stronger um, mentally we get excited we start to see that the possibilities starting to happen around us uh, and spiritually, you know, we start to connect. We've talked before about the four levels of consciousness, haven't we? And you start to connect with that third level where you really start to believe it so much because it's so close that you start to manifest the reality for yourself. And, and I believe that's why when we start to see things happening in a very positive way, entrepreneurs in particular start pushing they're pushing pulling uh, and they you know that i've worked with entrepreneurs where their team around them are starting to flag they're finding it hard going you know the, but the entrepreneur the visionary who can see that vision come into life is energized by it and constantly is re-energizing his team or her team but how far from the finish line do you think they really start pushing? Because we're not talking metaphorically here. We're talking time. And it's interesting how the majority of people in life, in business, in sport, normally I would say give up in the middle when the rains are coming down. Mm. When you don't want to do it. You don't want to walk up that big hill. But why? Yeah, but I, I think... But how long how do entrepreneurs see the goal in mind? Well, I think it goes back to the very first part of what you were saying, Michael, that you have a beginning, you have the middle, and you have the end. And we all begin, we, we, we all started our business somehow, somewhere, in our home, in our garage, in our bedroom, wherever it was, we started and we were excited when we started. Maybe we were nervous, um, but there was a level of energy that went into that setup and startup phase. Then you get into the middle section where all the grunt work is. It starts getting hard. You have to learn the skills of persistence, resilience, um, relentlessness. You have to start forming habits which become mundane. And, and then you're listening to people like Jim Rohn that tells you to master the mundane, you know. But I think many people don't. 
and they do give up there. I mean, look at the UK statistically, three out of four startups fail in the first five years. Three out of four in a five-year period because people give up on the relentlessness, the persistence. They can't take the knocks anymore. They decide to go back into employment. They might not even give it five years. You know, perhaps they give it five months, but they, they give up. I think once you get through that grunt phase, once you come out of it, and like we experienced on the South Downs Way, there was a windmill in the distance, and we knew that windmill was not the very end, but it was a very important marker towards the end of the walk. And it energized us. We sped up towards that windmill. We saw it. And I think for, on, for us in business, when we've got a business where we've put lots of grunt work in, we've got past that five years, we're five years plus, um, and, and it can take time. You could be at this for 30 years. You know, but you keep going, keep going, keep going. Then you start to see the fruits of your labor. And that energizes people. And, and I think the example and the experiment with the rat is very much like us as humans. You know, I suppose they call it the rat race, don't they? You know, what, what we've experienced up to the pandemic was the rat race. And very interestingly, Michael, the world's different now. And, and people don't want to be in the rat race anymore. But maybe that's a different conversation or a different angle. But from a business perspective, we have to keep on going and we have to realise our dreams. And I completely agree. But for Liz Taylor to become an overnight success, it took her 20 years. Mm -hmm. I've been in business now 20 plus years. Yeah. And how long do you give it for the challenges, the rain, the thunderstorms, the hurricanes? Because there has to be a time. And, and it's a really interesting conversation to have on the podcast as our fellow entrepreneurs are listening to this show. How long do they need to keep going? Because the only time failure is upon us is when you stop. Yes, that's it, Michael. It's when you stop. And unfortunately, you just can't put a time on it. You know, some of the entrepreneurs, business people I work with, they're second or third generation for a business that was started in 1908, for example. Uh, you know, we're into 100, 100 plus years now, and they're still, you know, working that business, working in it, helping it to become, you know, the, the well-known family business it deserves to be. Some people are, I don't know whether it's luck or what it is, but, you know, some people create something and it is almost an overnight success. I've seen some businesses thrive in the pandemic uh, you and i will you look at some some of these larger well-known house household names recently they weren't even known 10 years ago they weren't even on the scene 10 years ago now they're a billion pound plus business how does that work 
Well, I think you're referring to Zoom. It's a verb, isn't it? And, yes. And, and it's a bit like the uh, old traditional Hoover, which has been replaced by Dyson. But that wasn't an overnight success anyway. But no. it's interesting. Let's go back to when the very first day you started out in your business journey, Simon. How did it feel? What did the euphoric stage look like and feel like for you? And how me, long did it last? Yeah, I would say um, at that stage, it lasted for a good few years. It got me through, really, the first five years when most other people were falling by the wayside. For me, the, the euphoria um, and the energy about that, those first early days of setting up my business was all about ideas. You know, I was, my brain was flooded with ideas. I'd have this idea and that idea, and I'd be dreaming ideas, you know, and that's a, a really lovely phase to be in because it's when we're at, probably at our most creative. We've got all these ideas, some of them, have been bubbling for years, maybe. Some of them seem to just come out of the ether, you know, God-given ideas, perhaps. I don't know, but all these ideas are in the melting pot. You're at your most creative. I was at my most creative in those early days, and I was churning out some brilliant work. I mean, my uh, book that is um, uh, here with me now that, that was born in those early days, and I'm still selling that 10 years later, you know. Uh, so I think it's a great phase to be in. It's a bit like when we started the walk on the South Downs Way. We started from Winchester. There was that beautiful river flowing through the town, and I can picture it now, full of rocks. It was quite shallow, quite fast-flowing, a lovely walk along the bank. It just felt really lovely it was a beautiful day and all the we started the walk we were talking and instantly we were talking we were talking about ideas and about you know the excitement of the journey ahead i think for entrepreneurs we have to capture that and remind ourselves of that time especially when we're in the grunt phase and we have to remind ourselves that there, there was that time. It's still there. We can reignite it at any time we like, yeah, because we have that amazing capability as human beings to spark our creativity. Sometimes we might just need to remove ourselves from the grunt, remove ourselves like you and I did with that walk. We removed ourselves from our business and we put ourselves in an environment that created the ability to be creative. In those early days, how did you uh, capture all those brilliant ideas to prevent you from becoming overwhelmed? Because I guess you can only do so much. Yes, you've got to have a command centre, Michael. <laughs> uh, and I still have one behind me, this big whiteboard, and on the whiteboard, I capture lots of ideas, thoughts, to-do lists. Um, you've got to have a mechanism 
to capture it all. Because you're right, an idea can come to you at two o'clock in the morning. And if you haven't got a notepad and a pen next to your bed, you've forgotten it. You wake up at eight o'clock in the morning and think, I had a brilliant idea last night. Where's it gone? Someone's stolen it from my head. So we have to have some kind of mechanism to write things down. I love whiteboards. Um, I, I like journals. Uh, you and I both use Evernote on the phone. So I'd encourage people to have a range of things. You showed me that Google program. I can't remember the name of it now, where you might almost mind map thoughts and ideas and plans and, and almost link the ideas to planning because that's that's got to be your next move how do i take this idea and do something with it how do i decide if this is the kind of idea that i just need to park for now yeah um whilst i work on other ideas because you're right when you get overwhelmed otherwise with the amount of ideas that you can generate you have to pick the ones that you believe are going to lead you to where you want to be. You know, I have to say, the last time I saw you, I thought I saw you carrying a whiteboard under your arm. Yeah. And guess where I got that from, Michael? Where, Simon? Easycrane.co.uk, my favourite website. Why is it your favourite website, Simon? Um, it's my favourite website because... It's just so easy to go on, search. It's as good as Amazon in its search function. But what I really like about it is you can order what you need there and then. It's always arrived here the very next day. And I get an invoice directly for the business with the VAT and everything all clearly outlined. And then I get the, the terms that you offer me. Uh, and then we make sure that's paid within that time. Um, whereas with Amazon, I've got to fish out my credit card or I've got to do one click. I don't know where the invoice is. I've got to go and search for it. Um, so I really like, you know, that yours yours is almost like the business Amazon. Thanks for that, Simon. You know, it's taken me an awful long time to ensure that the processes, the systems were really efficient for the ease of my customers. And, you know, 20 years to build the systems and processes don't happen overnight. A lot of this thing was happening during the grunt phase. And, and actually, I don't like the word grunt phase because it means so many different things for different people. But let's just call it the hard, getting down and dirty phase where all the hard work happens. And it's about the processes, the habits, the routines that you instill in your life to get that hard work done. And there is no alternative for it. There's no uh, in a, uh, alternative. There's no second guessing. It just takes time to get on and get the hard work done. So thank you for uh, recommending and sharing your thoughts on the website. That wasn't uh, a, uh, a planned session there, but it was really important to show you what can come out from really making things simple, easy, for the ease of your customers to interact with you, whether that's pa passing pound notes 
or whether that's information and ideas and sharing. But I just want to share an idea with our listeners right now because you mentioned, uh, well, you mentioned you had a whiteboard under your arm and that's how you capture your, um, your ideas, your complex ideas on days. And certainly, I wouldn't expect you to have a whiteboard above your bed to capture those ideas at 2 a.m. when those ideas are coming to your head. But, you know, during this hard work phase, I always captured and kept something I call a victory journal, which actually captured the successes, the winning ideas that actually did bear fruits. And this was something that really motivated me to keep going through that hard phase. Because let me ask you this, Simon, share a success with our listeners today, something that went well, opposed to what we normally gravitate, or a lot of people gravitate, to things that don't go so well. Yes. Um, you're asking me to share one of my successes? Yeah, yeah, your successes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, from your well, victory um, journal. Oh, from my victory journal, one of my biggest successes, Michael, as you've known that, uh, like you have a great system, we've been working on a coaching platform now for five years. Uh, we call it The Curve, um, and it's been a real big journey, you know. But the greatest success has been the realisation of that platform and, and it, the coming to life of it and it doing everything that we hoped and dreamed it would do. And the fact that it's just working so brilliantly now. Uh, we have over 30 coaches that are using it. Um, yesterday, we wanted to do an update in the evening. Uh, we had 18 users online and we couldn't, we just couldn't until everybody had come off. So it was done at virtually midnight. <laughs> uh, and, and so that was great to know that people were online using it, accessing it, um, and, uh, and that it was benefiting them. So that's been a great victory for us uh, over, the, over the last couple of years. And that took you five years to develop your system, to make monitoring uh, your coaches and their clients to become a better you. Yes, absolutely. And the nice thing about it is it's, there's one big victory, of course, but along the way there's been lots of very small victories as challenges, issues uh, came up, and then it was, well, how do we overcome that? How do we get it to do this? How do we get it to operate more quickly with speed, with more users? Uh, so as those uh, areas came up and we engaged with our developers, it was just really lovely to see those small victories along the way as well. I think that's important in business. You're right. You know, we focus too much on everything that's not going so well sometimes. Um, it's really, really important to celebrate all the small victories along the way. How do you capture them, Simon? I capture them just like you, Michael. I have a journal. I make notes and I keep a log of every success. I have a plan as well. And, and next to the plan, I have scores. I have updates. 
I have this one's been achieved, you know, this one's done, etc., uh, etc. Et and I review that regularly, um, probably fortnightly at least. And I would recommend people really look at these things every week, at least once a week, uh, because it's so, you know, it really is so energizing. I suppose it's going back to the rat when the rat sees the food. He pushes harder. He, he races quicker. And when you look at what you've achieved, we don't take enough time out to do that. You know, we, we had, um, we, we spoke a few webinars, about a few podcasts ago about the cycle of productivity, didn't we? And the very important stage, which should be the very first stage of acknowledging, acknowledging your successes. What were the ingredients to success? What went well? And really analyze those and take the lessons. And sometimes I've walked into businesses and we're discussing some of their challenges and issues. Um, and then we find, to our astonishment, that there was something they were doing really well a few years ago that they've stopped doing. And the reason why they've stopped doing is that they just forgot in a way that that was what was making them successful because they hadn't spent any time acknowledging that success and identifying that that was a key ingredient of their success. And if we don't know what our key ingredients of success are, we can sometimes in the busyness of the world we operate in, forget to put one of those ingredients in. And then once we've forgotten to put it in, it gets forgotten about. And then we're less successful because we've dropped one of the very things that was making us successful. And that's why I think you should write these successes down in your very own victory journal. But as I've been a friend of yours for many years, Simon, I think one of the successes that you don't talk about as much as you should is the book you wrote. So why don't you tell our listeners why you did this book and how they can get it? Yes, so I wrote this book um, because I'd had a career, a, a very good career in NatWest, and I, when I left, I was reflecting on what was it that made me so successful? Why was it that for seven years on the trot, I built teams that were seen as the worst teams in the organization, uh, and, I, and I was able to take them to number one in the country or number two in the country. And it was because I used a what I called a toolkit of leadership concepts, and I wanted to share that with the world, really. So I, I put those all into a book, and it's a leadership compendium. Now, there's some of my ideas in there, but there's also a lot of other people's ideas, like Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Ginny Ditzler's Best Year Yet. And I wanted to speak to those authors and pull their ideas into this compendium. So for a year, I traveled all around the US um, a meeting with these different people. Stephen Covey, Spencer Johnson, who wrote Who Moved My Cheese. And, and I was looking for them to give me permission to feature their work in a certain kind of way. And um, 
I got all those permissions and it was fantastic. So I, I was able to come back armed with the permissions, very clear in my head what I wanted to write about and the way I wanted to feature it. Um, and that's that was the birth then of the ultimate leadership guide, um, which is the, the book that I have. People can get a copy from my website, simonteague.com. Um, we have it on Amazon as well. I should maybe put it in easycrane.co.uk, shouldn't I? <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, it's a really nice book, and, and many leaders have it. And what I love about it is you can open it and keep it on your desk like a calendar. Yeah, so it doesn't form shelf development. It forms self-development. Yeah, it's not sat on a shelf somewhere doing nothing. It can be on your desk and you flip it open like a calendar and you can look at a different leadership concept every day in the month and then go back again and start again next month because there's 31 leadership concepts in the compendium. And they are the key elements of being successful in business, why you should have a coach. And I also want to add to that. I want to ask a question to our listeners. How many great innovators, thought leaders, the type of people that push you forward, have motivated you recently and you feel really proud to be one of their dear friends. And I think, Simon, there's a, so much benefit that you and I get from our weekly checkout calls. So the question to our listeners is this. How many people in your network really, really powered you forward to be the best success that you can be? And by the way, if the answer is very few, I would strongly suggest start reading and put the authors into become your inner circle. Because if you can't find them and they're not no longer living, you can certainly read their ideas, their concepts to really motivate and power you forward. But I just want to go back to our walk on the South Downs Way now, Simon, and talk about the end point, which we did call the euphoria phase. And both you and I noticed the nearer we got to the end of the walk, our speed, our pace, quickened up, just like the rats pulling harder and running faster to the food. How was that for you? Yes, you're right, Michael. We definitely felt that burst of energy, didn't we? I think what was interesting about the end was that we went the long way round. <laughs> so the, you do the, business. The, the end actually was physically further away than we thought. <laughs> um, but that didn't deter us from really pushing on. And in fact, it ended up being one of the most difficult walks 
if you remember, we were walking across the Seven Sisters. Anybody that's been across the Seven Sisters will know that it's quite a challenge, but it was a double challenge based on the, the fact that it was a howling gale. So much so that at the top of one of the Seven Sisters, people were falling over by that lighthouse. And in fact, we ended up lying on the ground, gripping onto the grass, hoping not to be blown off the top of the cliff. <laughs> what an experience. But we were so energised. I, I, I'm quite taken aback, actually, at how energised we felt as we pushed on through the wind, up and down, up and down, up and down the Seven Sisters, and then eventually coming into um, Eastbourne, which is a beautiful town. And, and as you come down into Eastbourne, you get to see the pier um, and the Ferris wheel there and the beach. And it was absolutely lovely. And we were really, you know, excited that we'd had probably the most challenging walk. And yet it didn't feel like it. There were other walks where our legs were aching. We were exhausted. Um, but we sat uh, with a very welcome pint inside a pub. Hallelujah. Uh, and really were, were so, so pleased. And so still with that level of energy, no, no aching limbs. It was great, wasn't it? It truly was. I have to tell you that on that day, according to my Fitbit, we did approximately 19 and a half miles. What I didn't tell you was I knew that before we started. Because before we started, according to my maps and my research and my due diligence, it was only going to be nine miles. So we doubled the distance. We sped up. We went faster towards the goal. Do you think that would have happened in the grunt phase or the hard work phase of that walk? How we went double the distance faster toward the goal? I think we would have definitely been aching in the grunt phase because it would have taken us longer. You know, I think there was just a, when you're in that um, phase, it's, you know, you're trudging through. Sometimes it feels a little bit like you're wading through treacle. Um, but when you see the end, you know, and it's, it's coming to that, you've got that extra energy, you know, that really pushes you on. And um, I know I've said that a couple of times now, but I, I really just want to emphasize the point that, um, you know, entrepreneurs and people in business, when they're going for something and they can see that end inside, just keep going, keep going. And you'll, you'll feel yourself speeding up. And it's a very exciting phase to be in. You know, I don't think we're any different to marathon runners, Simon, whereby the amount of times I've seen marathon runners after 26 miles do their fastest time towards the end of the race. In the last mile or something, yeah. yeah. And also, at the moment, I'm walking another walk with my sister, Karen, and Julie, my wife, 
called the Greensands Way. And through these observations, I noticed my sister on each phase or each stage of the walk, she goes out of the trap at the very beginning, like a rat on, uh, on meat. And at the very end of the, uh, the walk, she's half a mile ahead. And this is what led me to do the research about the rats that Clark Harwell, Harlow, did in the 1930s. So it's really quite interesting, isn't it? How this mental state needs to be primed with learned behavior, with consistent routines to reach the end the goal in mind. I wonder if the question on some of the listeners' lips might be, I understand that for myself, but how do I get my team? How do I galvanise the people that work for me to do the same? From a leadership point of view or from an internal perspective? I think from a leadership point of view. How do I lead my team in such a way that I can galvanise them, get them energised, get them speeding up, get them to see that we're close to a particular objective? I think it might come down to the company mission statement. And Mm. I don't just mean a mission statement that sits on a wall that no one reads. What I mean is a group, community, a plain level community of thought, ideas, goals, winning goals, that gives the team a sense of purpose, a a, a sense of being part of something bigger that is motivating and helping them reach their individual goals. Because, you know, with leadership, You can only lead someone if they want to be led. Mm. Yes. What's your view? I think it's a very good point. And I think underpinning that mission are understanding what are the values of the business and how can we get everybody in the business to be living those values. Again, like you've just said, having values written up on a wall is no good to anyone. How, how do we live them? If we build a values-based business with a values-based team who live the values the moment they will come into work and to the moment that they leave, then you've got the ability to excite, energize, and galvanize people in your team. If we go back to the story about the rats, And just to conclude today's podcast show, Simon, what would you give people in terms of a GPS to the food? I would encourage people to sit down and make sure they've got um, a, a very clear plan that starts with that mission statement yeah, that identifies the values that, that we want people to be living, but then actually saying, right, here's the mission, here's where we want to get to, 
here's how we're going to get there through living these values, but here's also how we're going to get there through goals and objectives. And setting and allocating goals every month, every week, every day to make sure that we are step by step by step moving forward. You know, the rat knows where the food is because the rat has a very good nose. Yeah, so nature has provided the rat with that. Nature has provided us with a very good brain. Yeah, so we have to intellectualize and also take the emotional intelligence and put that into galvanizing our team, engaging with our team, and getting them to, to day by day understand what their objectives and their goals are, and then to map and track those goals daily, weekly, monthly. That is our sat-nav to success. And that is where we are going to wrap up today's show on the Michael Crane dot live podcast thank you to our listeners for listening don't forget to hit the subscribe button to hear more from simon and michael on next month's m and s monthly podcast show we look forward to seeing you then bye everyone today's show has been sponsored by www.teameasycrane.co.uk We help you build your business and grow recurring profits. Thank you so much for listening and don't forget to hit the subscribe button. With a coach by your side, you can be invincible and nothing is impossible. But not all coaches are equal. Why is it some coaches get outstanding results while others struggle? In today's market, the very best coaches are armed with three powerful tools. One, a proven methodology that works every time. 2. A mapping and tracking system. 3. An ability to prove the return on investment. Without all three you are going nowhere. With all three client impact is enormous, and the opportunities are endless. These coaches are called New Level Results Coaches. Find out if you make the grade at newlevelresults.co.uk.